When my children were young, we, we took a snow vacation every year. We rented a cabin up in a remote part of the mountains near our home and went away for several days, and we always had a great time of sledding and riding the inner tubes and pelting each other with snowballs. A memorable annual vacation. On one occasion, though, it was on our way home that we had one of the most scary experiences of our lives. We were driving down the mountain, down this very twisty, curvy, narrow two-lane road. As you're heading down, the steep side of the mountain goes up on your right, and across the other lane on the left, the mountain falls away. And as we were driving along, there were no other cars on the road. The roads hadn't been plowed, so I was driving on this sea of white. The mountainside was covered with white, and then this snowy fog started to settle in. And all of a sudden, as we rounded a corner, we found ourselves in a complete whiteout situation. I couldn't distinguish between the mountain and the road. I couldn't even see what lane I was in. I couldn't see where that precipice was on the other side. I had driven this road hundreds of times, and I had literally no idea what direction to head my car in. So I stopped. We all rolled down the windows and we're peering out looking for something that will give us, uh, give us some kind of orientation. And my son Matthew doesn't just open his window, he hangs his body out through the window and he's peering and he says, hey dad, I can vaguely see the side of the mountain. And so we had a reference point. So I started creeping my car forward and Matthew's hollering directions. And so as we're driving, the mountain is here, and as the mountain would start to fall away to the right, I knew the road was bending to the right, so I'd slowly creep around to the right. And if the mountain started to get closer to the car, I knew the road was bending to the left, and we'd creep around that way. And we worked our way down the mountain that way for about 10 minutes, 10 very scary minutes, until finally we got below that layer of foggy snow and broke into the clear and we could see again. And we breathed a sigh of relief and said a prayer of thanks. I've never forgotten that experience because it's a reminder of the importance of boundaries in life. We need boundaries to orient us so that we know where we are. We need boundaries to keep us safe. We need boundaries to give us direction. And without appropriate boundaries, we so easily can become lost. And that's why children, when they're being raised, parents give them rules and guidelines for their behavior. The kids need those boundaries. That's why societies have laws. We need some boundaries to govern our life together so we can have an orderly society. And that's why our loving Heavenly Father gives us boundaries. Because He created us, He knows what's best for us. And He's spoken to us through the Bible to give us boundaries that can guide our moral and ethical and spiritual behavior. These are God's laws given for our benefit. And if we misunderstand them, if we misinterpret them, if we ignore them, that's when we'll find ourselves off course. And so Jesus, as he preaches his very first sermon, preaching to a crowd of people who followed him up onto a mountainside, 
he addresses this very critical issue of boundaries. And his goal is to help men and women grasp the essence of God's law so that their lives will head in the right direction. That's the foundation for our Bible passage. Let's take a look at the book of Matthew, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand the progression of his sermon. When we began two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus started off by by offering a series of eight blessings. He began with blessings because he wanted the people listening to know that God cares for them. And people can experience those blessings Jesus described as they move through a process from spiritual seeker to believer to devoted disciple of Jesus. And the key to receiving these blessings is to value what God values more than what we value. That's the foundation of the Sermon on the Mount, learning to understand and embrace the values of God. So Jesus began with blessings, and then as Drew described last week, Jesus moves from blessings to who. He describes who we are supposed to be as we live out a life of discipleship. And we learned that we are to be salt and light in this world. And those metaphors tell us that we are to preserve the goodness of God in our life and in our world, that we are to bring God's truth into our world. And so our purpose is not to draw people to ourselves or to our values. Our purpose is to point people toward Jesus and toward the values of the kingdom of God. So Jesus moves from blessings to who, and now in these verses that I just read, he begins to talk about the how. How can we actually be salt and light and live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't want to leave us with any doubts. He's going to tell us because we can't follow God unless we know what he expects. We need to know God's boundaries. And what is so sad is at the time Jesus appeared, the people of Israel badly, badly misunderstood God's law. And they also misunderstood Jesus. They had a hard time figuring this guy out because he wasn't like anyone they'd ever seen. His style of preaching and teaching was radically different than what they were used to from their rabbis. And he didn't come offering the same kind of proclamations that a prophet would issue. So Jesus doesn't fit any of the known molds. In fact, he's breaking all the molds. And so some people view him with suspicion. And they wonder, is Jesus trying to overthrow our most sacred religious practices? Does does he even want to undermine the law given to us by God? In verses 17 and 18, Jesus answers such questions with an emphatic no. 
He has no desire to subvert the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, what the Jews routinely called the Law and the Prophets. Jesus did not come to eliminate any part of what God himself had spoken to his people. But neither did he come to encourage people to maintain the status quo. The status quo was unacceptable because the Jewish understanding of God's law had become so distorted that it misrepresented who God is and it misrepresented what God expects of his children. The people were trying to live with faulty boundaries. And instead of being a blessing, God's laws had become an intolerable burden. So Jesus did not come to undermine the law. He did not come to endorse the current understanding of the law. He came to redraw the boundary lines and put them in their proper places. He came to invite people to experience a richer, deeper, more significant spiritual life. And he did that in dramatic fashion because he said, I'm going to fulfill the law. Now, it's easy for us to read those words from Jesus and to sort of gloss right over them. But that statement would have stunned the crowd. Who does this guy think he is? What makes Jesus so special? How can any one man fulfill God's law, all of it? Well, here's how. First, the law was given by God. To help men and women understand the difference between right and wrong so they would know what God expects. And yet at the same time, there's no human being who ever could fulfill the law on his or her own because it's impossible for any person to be perfect. Jesus alone could fulfill the law and he did that by living a perfect, sinless human life. And second... The law made it clear that humanity always would fall short of God's expectations, and Israel did just that. It's painfully clear when we read the Old Testament. They messed up constantly, and so do we. God established a sacrificial system to drive home the need that people must be forgiven by God. And as the perfect man, Jesus alone could fulfill the sacrificial aspect of the law. And he did so by voluntarily dying on a cross for the sinful behavior of all humanity. He became the perfect, ultimate, final sacrifice. And that's why we take communion every week. To honor what Jesus did as he fulfilled the sacrificial aspect of God's law. There's a third thing that God was doing. Throughout human history, he was regularly sending prophets into the world with messages of challenge and confrontation and also with a message of hope. The prophets said, a better day is coming. There will be a Messiah who will usher in a new day, a Messiah who will transform the relationship between God and his people and help to restore this very broken world. Jesus alone 
could fulfill the teaching of the prophets. And he did so by demonstrating through his miracles and through his own teaching that he was, in fact, the promised Jewish Messiah. He was God's personal representative who had come to set things straight. And fourth, the Jewish Bible contains a tremendous amount of ethical teaching as God explains to his people, here's how you live a moral life, here's how you help to create a moral society. Jesus alone could fulfill the moral requirements of God's law, of what's recorded in the Bible, not only because he lived a perfect life, but because he displayed care and concern for the people who crossed his path. Jesus was involved with everyone, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile. He served the needy, the hurting, and even social outcasts. And so, in all of these ways, Jesus fulfilled all that God had spoken to the Jews because his life was one of personal and social righteousness. And so here in this sermon, very close to the beginning of Christ's ministry, he's telling people, watch, because I am going to fulfill all of God's law. You watch, and I will fulfill God's law in every conceivable way. It is an amazing statement of who he is and what he's come to accomplish. And it's vital for us to see that despite this amazing accomplishment by Jesus, it does not remove the continuing need for God's law. As Jesus Jesus says here, the law will exist until the end of human history when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And until then, we still need the law. We still need boundaries. We need God's wisdom and boundaries. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, but we don't. And we still need to know what God expects and how we can live to fulfill His expectations. And so because He loves us, and because He wants us to keep our lives headed in the right direction, He gives us the boundaries that we need. And His boundaries have a purpose. The purpose is not to take the fun out of life or to add a burden to our life. God's laws are designed to set us free. And as the next part of the sermon will make clear, the most important purpose of God's law is to help men and women become righteous in the sight of God. In other words, to live rightly. And yet, once again, Jesus is going to surprise the people listening to him. Because they know all about righteousness, or at least they think they do. But they're going to find out that God's view of righteousness is very different than what they have been trained to believe. Let's look at the next part of the message, starting in verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
It's abundantly clear that if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we cannot set aside the law that was given by God. We need to embrace the boundaries that God establishes for our lives because without His guidance, we will mess things up. A society without boundaries is a society that will descend into chaos. And without godly boundaries, we become people who just kind of make up our morality as we go. And we see this so clearly in our world today. Reality is literally being redefined. Seems like on almost a weekly basis in fundamental areas of life having to do with sexuality and gender. And it's sad because when people ignore the healthy and appropriate boundaries that God gives us, then we just get confused. And we don't make the best decisions. And we lose our way. And I think, in essence, what Jesus is saying here is don't take the risk of setting aside God's commandments and don't take the risk of teaching others to set aside God's commandments. If you do, you're heading into dangerous territory. If you want to be my disciple and inherit the kingdom of God, you must place a high value on God's law. Jesus says that all of it's important from the parts that we consider to be the greatest commands down to the smallest, most least suggestion. It's all vitally important for us to consider and to evaluate and embrace because God's law is a roadmap for life. And so we can't abandon it. We just need to understand it properly. And Jesus begins, he begins to tell his listeners to do that, by making another shocking statement recorded for us here in verse 20. He tells them, not only must you be righteousness, be, excuse me, be righteous, but you need to do better at righteousness than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And once again, you and I can read that and say, okay, but that statement would have rocked the world of Jesus' audience. And that's because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the models of righteousness in their society. They believed that they were the most godly people around. They believed that they were the role models to show other people how to be righteous. They were the ones entitled to teach people how to be righteous. They were the ones entitled to pass judgment on you if you didn't live up to their understanding of what it meant to be righteous. And that was how everybody in their society had been trained to think. And so the ordinary people listening to Jesus would feel that he's given them an impossible challenge. Really, Jesus? Me? Exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers? It can't be done! And that's the whole point. It can't be done. It can't be done because we can't become righteous on our own, but also because the sad fact is that the Pharisees and the teachers were not really righteous. They weren't righteous because they didn't value what God values. 
Even worse, they were leading other people astray. When Jesus says here in verse 19 that his followers should not set aside any of God's commandments nor teach other people to set them aside, he's talking about people like the Pharisees and teachers. People who think they're righteous and are not. And then they compound the problem by misleading others into the same faulty thinking. The crowd listening to Jesus doesn't understand it yet, but he is starting to lay a foundation so they will understand that, that a proper view of righteousness is not attained by measuring your life against the life of a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. They're not the standard. They're not the standard because what they value and how they live falls short in two distinct ways. First, their devotion to God's law only was outward. It was an outward obedience because they focused on keeping the rules. Yet that's not what God taught in His law. To cite just one example, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Pharisees kind of let that one slip by. They kind of glossed over that because they weren't that concerned about what was going on in someone's mind and heart and soul. They wanted a world of compliance, a world of conformity, a world that looks good on the outside. And that faulty line of thinking, that faulty boundary line leads to a second problem. It, it means that much of their obedience, quite sadly, was an imp- a performance designed to impress others. And Pharisees in particular would love to go out in public and stand on a street corner and offer a loud, long, flowery prayer to show you just how devoted they were to God. And they would ostentatiously give alms, give donations to the poor so you knew just how generous they were. And if they were walking down the street and saw someone coming toward them that was considered unclean, maybe someone like a leper, oh, they would stop and walk and cross the road to show you how holy they were because they would not associate or even get near to such an unclean person. And that's the heart of the problem of a rule-based religion. We wind up trying to impress others because we're far more concerned with what other people think than with what God thinks. And so the values of the Pharisees and teachers were not aligned with the values of God. They were living according to incorrect boundaries and they were off course and they were leading others with them. And we need to think about the implications of their actions in our own lives. Do we ever make those same mistakes? Do we ever approach our faith primarily as a, as a system of rules to follow? And then we wind up trying to impress other people more than we are concerned with simply pleasing our God. 
the God who died to save us from ourselves. It's so tragic to me. It's one of the great tragedies of history. I believe that the Pharisees and the teachers meant well. I just think they got deceived somehow, and they are the assumed pillars of righteousness in that culture, and they're not righteous at all. And in fact, if you were to adopt their values, then you could be full of moral rot. But as long as you went through all the external motions, oh, as long as you followed all the right rules, you were righteous. And I've known Christians who think that way. Christians who may have looked good on the outside, but who never had been renewed from the inside out. And so Jesus is beginning a part of this sermon where he's going to lay out teaching to help his audience understand that what God values is so radically different from what they have been taught. Our God values righteousness that results in a changed mind and a changed heart and a changed society. And Jesus is inviting these people to watch him because he values God's law. He values the word of God, and he's going to live it out so we can follow his example. And as I've said a couple times in this message, this is just the beginning, because over the next several weeks, as we work our way through his sermon, we're going to see Jesus give us very specific examples to show how people have misinterpreted and distorted God's law. And he's going to explain how God's children can take corrective action. He's going to redraw the boundary lines and put them in their proper locations. And as we walk through this message, it will become increasingly clear that the essence of God's law is not to learn and follow the rules. The essence of God's law is to love and follow Jesus, the only one who could, the only one who did fulfill the law. And as we follow him, he will show us where the proper boundary lines are. So I was thinking about God's boundaries and the way he brings and puts boundaries into our lives as an act of love. I was reminded of something I read several years ago. Social researchers have done a number of fascinating studies about the relationship between playgrounds, fences, and the way children play. Fact is that playgrounds sometimes are situated in dangerous areas. A classic case is a city playground that's adjacent to a very busy street where kids could get hurt. There's speeding cars, there's traffic noises that frighten the kids. Well, in one case, they studied this park that was surrounded on all four sides by major boulevards. And so the kids tended to stay away from the street. Now, there were a few daredevil kids, right? There's always those who want to push the envelope, and they'd go out and play on the curb with the cars whizzing by. Most of the kids didn't go anywhere close to the boulevard. And the researchers found that the kids played pretty much in the center of the playground. You see, in the absence of a boundary, they created their own boundary for safety. But unfortunately, it robbed them. 
it robbed them of enjoying the full use of the park. And then the city spent some bucks and they put a fence around that playground. Right at the edge of the grass and on the other side was the sidewalk and then the street. And guess what? The kids now used all of the playground. With a proper, healthy boundary in place, the children could enjoy the full space in peace and in safety and simply have fun. I think that's a great image about the the importance of the boundaries that God has given us. And we need His boundaries for peace. We need His boundaries for safety. We need His boundaries because they set us free to enjoy the fullness of life as He designed us designed it. And through this sermon and through his life, Jesus is going to teach us and Jesus is going to model for us how to, excuse me, how to embrace God's law so that we can experience the very best that God has for each and every one of us.